you guys want to you guys want to eat something? What do you want? And I remember uh, Kissling's cracking voice saying, "Muffins." Come on, you know, hopers, you jokers and rogues. We're on the road to nowhere. Let's find out where it goes. It might be a ladder to the stars. Who knows? Come on. Hello, welcome to Sea Stories with Adam. Sea Stories are tales generally shared amongst fishermen and sailors, so I figured why not get together with some sailors and tell our own sea stories. Uh, for this first episode, I wanted to do something special and bring on some special sailors. A year before I joined them, these gentlemen were part of the USS Don Cook strike team that launched the first Tomahawk cruise missile in the Iraq War, thus giving the Don Cook the label. <laughs> first to strike. Um, I hope to talk about the events leading up to this launch, but first let me introduce you members of that team. First we got Ben Hall. What's going on, Ben? Hey, Adam. Can you uh, explain your role as part of the strike team real quick? Yeah, so I think the, the rules are typically broken down into, I think, um, three or four different categories, but the two main ones are um, people who de design the flight path of the missile and then the other people that launch it. So I happen to be at that point on launching um, which will rotate around uh, every so often, but um, but at that point I was on the launch team. Next, I want to introduce Anthony Starr. What's going on, Anthony? Hey, how you doing, Adam? Not too bad. Can you explain your role as part of that strike team? I was kind of like the overall, uh, just overwatch. Just make sure the launch and the uh, flight paths were getting uh, done correctly. Yep, and uh, you generally shared that role with the chief and a strike officer, am I correct? Yes, sir. And next, I want to introduce Michael Mack. What's going on, Mack? Not much, Adam. How's it going, man? Do you still go by Mack? Yeah, it's easier. <laughs> what was your <laughs> role on the strike team? Um, for that particular strike, I was on the other launch console. So, so you, off you, the two launch consoles, I was there pushing the other button. Yeah. You, Actually, I believe that might have been Kissling. Kissling was on the global command and control systems and tripping people who walked behind him because his feet weren't that large. <laughs> but facing forward, you would trip over his feet when they're in front of him. Yeah. Actually, I, I do remember flipping a quarter with him to see who would be the first one to launch. Who won? That's, I want to ask that. Well, he did. He did. And then I said, best out of Actually, three. We did it again, and he won it again. Yeah. All right. Well, before, like I said, I want to talk about the, the events leading up, up to that first launch. But first, I want to talk about the role of the fire controlmen. There's a lot of tribalism and, you know, amongst rates in the Navy. I feel like, I like to say, the fire controlmen was like the best rating in the Navy. Do you guys agree with that? I, I think actually all, all fire controlmen, I think all the FCs agree with you on that. Or know that that is accurate. So, so let me tell you my story about becoming a fire controlman, and then you guys could tell me how your 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 voyage was different. But I, obviously, I went to AETC school, the Advanced Electronics Technical Corps, and from there, I got to choose between becoming an FC and an ET. And from my experience, all the ETs were a bunch of nerds. I knew nothing about both those rates, but I saw that a bunch of nerds were going ET route. And all the cool kids were going to the fire control men route. Was that how you guys got into the FC role? Did you guys have a choice between FC and ET? That's right. I, actually, um, yeah. So the FC, I agree with you. They were, um, you know, they had the, the glasses were not quite as thick. Um, <laughs> they had more tattoos, uh, so they definitely seemed it fit better with me. Yeah. 
Um, and so that was a clear choice. Um, it, it seemed like brothers to me at that point. So um, that's why I chose it. And also um, it uh, had um, some opportunities that were close, close to home. So I could drive home on the weekends. That was a, <laughs> actually a pretty big, because <laughs> I wanted to see my mom and dad. How about you, Star? How did, what was your journey into the FC role? Can you I was the FC before they said, we picked right then and there. So I, be, uh, I went straight from boot camp to A school, to C school, to my ship. There was no choice. You didn't have a choice whatsoever? No, it was just straight FC from the very beginning. So you? they had FC ratings when there were when uh, there were sales and stuff on the ships? I'm assuming they had a totally different method of doing it back then. Somebody had to be in charge of the gunners, mates. You couldn't let them run wild. They had to have someone <laughs> in charge of them somewhere. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, FCs were kind of the parents of, of the crew. Yeah. Uh, how, about, how about you, Matt? Um, they gave me the choice, and I thought it was worded uh, rather well. It was... Um, well, if you become an ET, either way, you're going to work with electronics. Now, if you become an ET, you're going to work with electronics, but other people are going to break that shit, and then you're going to fix it. Okay. If you're an FC, then you are going to break that shit, and then you are going to fix it. So I felt that that was beautifully, uh, like beautifully uh, a good picture to put, and yeah. that definitely made my choice very relevant. Let's go FC all the way. So Star just reminded me, and hopefully this will be the first story. Um, do you guys remember in quarters when Star told the story about how FCs came to be? <laughs> I actually don't. <laughs> do you, Star? I, don't, I vaguely remember. <laughs> uh, so Star was famously known, known for going on rants in quarters. Am I right or wrong, guys? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, um, yeah, definitely. So I remember this one time, uh, Star was going on one of his rants, and it's probably be directed at the Gunner's mates who who were part of our division. And he told the story about how fire controlmen came to be, and he was talking about how in the old days of, of the wooden ships and cannons and cannonballs and stuff, there are two ships were in a battle, and that the Gunner's mates were shooting the cannons, and the cannons were falling short of each other, and then one really smart gunner's mate noticed that the, the ship was pitching at a higher angle and the shot the cannon, the cannonball would go farther. And so that very super smart G, GM that figured that out became the very first fire control man. Do you guys remember that story at all? I don't remember that, but that actually sounds totally accurate to me. I mean, that makes complete sense, actually. And, and it's very I, on brand. It's very <laughs> on brand. And, uh, well, actually, I thought, uh, I heard a slightly different version, but I think they will pair together pretty well. But I heard that uh, um, early in his career, Chuck Norris um, joined the Navy and started the, the FCs. And then that tradition has stayed with uh, the FCs. Uh, much harder to get into than, than Gunner's Mates for that reason. What made it so fun about uh, shitting on Gunner's Mates? They're like mini FCs. It's kind of like the FC's little brother. Um, Star, you, I just remember that you, you always had it in for the Gunners mates. Was there any specific reason for that? Yes, because when <laughs> I first came, when I first came to Navy, I wasn't a Tomahawk tech. I was a Mark 86 gunfire control technician. Uh -huh. And we just really battled each other all the time. And so you just carried that on? Yeah, just, just can never let it go. Hey, Mac, did you have any issues with the Gunners mates? Uh, no, I, I remember being down in the deep mag, unloading 
fucking five inch rounds. I had no issues with the gunners. <laughs> all I was junior sailor, and they were like, Pat, guess where you're going? So first, and I was like, <laughs> so uh, let me let me continue this further discussion about fire control, man. And I want to hey, say, could, could I could I could I interrupt you one second? Yeah, go I ahead. Remember, does anybody remember Chief Moreland? Yes. Yeah. 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 He was shortstop. Do you remember that we were having a dress white inspection? <laughs> yes. In Hall. In Hall, sorry. <laughs> In where? Hall showed up. It was a dress white inspection. And Hall showed up with motherfucking working white pants. <laughs> oh, man. I didn't know it was going this direction. I don't remember. I remember. He pulled. I'm out, sorry, I couldn't help. I remembered he pulled it. He pulled out this white dress uniform that was that was obviously stuffed into a ball. Oh man! Pulled them out, wore them to inspection, wrinkled as fuck, and then Chief Moreland was like ripping into him, and then Ben goes, "Chief, Chief, 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 these aren't even mine." <laughs> like, yeah. like if that was like. I, that. I don't. I don't. I, I can't verify that. I, I, I can't. I can't. That's exactly the kind I'm talking about. Because these aren't even mine. As if that made it okay to do a justified his shitty ass uniform he was wearing. I, I don't recall that. I, not at all. Oh man! Definitely one of the funniest times I remember. Wait, was Chief Moreland the the taller guy or the the really short guy? That's he's a short guy. Yeah, short guy. I liked him. Yeah. Oh my gosh! All right, <laughs> continue on the part. He offered to take me downstairs. To the fan room. And what? Good. He offered to take me to the fan room after the whole uh, booster seat incident. The booster? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got a. I stole a booster seat from a Hardee's in Florida. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. And put it, put in, it in a cheese mess. mess. That was that was cold blooded. Uh, one more Chief Borland story. Um, do you remember when we were doing like, uh, like a strike exercise and I, I'm pretty sure like four, four fifths of the division came in hungover during this exercise and we completely bombed this exercise and Chief Morning grabbed the whole Tomahawk striking and took him down into the Tomahawk equipment room and made us do push-ups. I don't remember that. Wow. No. Chief yeah, and I remember we were doing push-ups, and I was like, holy shit, I thought this shit was going to stop in boot camp. I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I just want to yeah, say I, that I love and respect Chief Moreland now. So, Yeah, he, I like him. I, my overall opinion <laughs> of him was really good. He, he, uh, so apparently, whatever happened with those, that dress white uh, story, if that, uh, in fact, ever happened, um, obviously his reaction was not something so bad that it scarred me. So I, I like him. Uh, he was great. I think, well, that was kind of your MO, wasn't it? That you just did shit because you knew it, nothing was going to last. So I don't know you <laughs> cared about it. He, he had a, he had a positive sort of optimistic, uh, demeanor, which I think was, was valuable at times like that. <laughs> Anyways, uh, let's continue on. And I want to just want to talk about the FC role a little bit more and uh as far as um when i was going through fca school the coveted orders was to tomahawk c school and i was one of the fortunate ones to um the orders to become a tomahawk tech um did you guys have i know it's star you're you're a different weapon system so you could talk about how you became a tomahawk tech later but 
Ben and Mac, did you, were you guys, were the Tomahawk orders covered like they were for me? Uh, Mac, uh, that, where did we pick those? We picked those in Chicago, right? That was after a, uh, C school. Then we were given options. Um, and I, I mean, to me, it was like a very desirable thing. I mean, that's got to be the coolest thing. It's the Navy's only offensive weapon. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's high tech. Uh, to me, it was like this, the best thing to, to try to get. Um, I don't remember if there was competition for that, but it also happened to be, like I said, five hours away from my parents' house. So uh, Ben needed to see his mommy. Uh, so, so I took that. How about, what you, about you, Mac? Um, I wanted to be a sea wizard. Did you? Yeah, I studied my ass off. I got top of the night class that I was in, and uh, they told London, Chief London was the first class time at the school, and he told me, "Oh yeah, don't no, you you definitely want to do Tomahawk." I was like, "I don't." I joined the Navy, so I kind of didn't have to kill anyone, so I'd rather do something else. Yeah. And like, oh, don't worry. I've been doing Tomahawk for 17 years, and we would never launch a missile. Well, you're not going to launch. <laughs> yeah. It's never going to happen. Like, and when, like, within a year of, like, getting to the boat, it's like, hey, let's go kill a bunch of people. Yeah, yeah. I think that that's probably an interesting point, too. And I, I'd like to hear um, other people's perspective on this. And I know I'm not the one asking questions, but this is something that's I dealt totally with. It's totally cool. It's totally cool. Okay. Well, yeah. So when it came to down to it, um, you know, I, none of us joined, uh, you know, or, or got into Tomahawk uh, to kill people. Like, I, I, none of us, I don't think we're actually expecting to do that. That's one of the things you never shoot, you never practice with. Um, to me, it was a, just a means to, to get to college. Uh, but then... It happened, and uh, I remember having to think of that right, you know, really quickly without with very little warning. Um, that uh, that my actions at that point are going to contribute to somebody else dying, and you know, thinking that the other person on the other side of that missile is just a guy who joined for the same reason I did. Right? It's a job. Maybe it'll get him to college. It'll give him some opportunities. He's got his girlfriend at home uh, that he, you know, he's going to go see. He's got plans for the weekend, and that guy's going to die. I remember thinking like. Man, what, what do you do? I mean, <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. When you get when you get to the military, they do a good job of, of realizing that we're the good guys and they're the bad guys. Yeah, right. So, so that makes plus we're shooting these things from miles away. That like once it leaves the ship, it's like you don't think about what happens on the other side. Your responsibility is no longer connected to it yeah. or something. Yeah. Uh, but, well, you know, the thing that made me still do it, I thought, like, I don't, I don't believe that I should be able to do this. Um, and the thing is, like, they think they're the good guys and we're the bad yeah. guys. And so all we really are, I mean, literally, like, in a sense, is we're pawns of yeah. the people that are making the decisions. Um, and I thought, if I do a conscient, conscientious objector thing right now, first of all, that will just completely, <laughs> you know, um, screw me uh, over as a in a career but the thing is it's not going to stop it from happening it's yeah. still going to happen so, so. Uh, now now i'm interested from uh scar's perspective because he was literally involved in a different web weapon system and then he got the chance to become a tomahawk tech star can you tell us about your experience yeah like i said i was a mark 86 gunfire control system uh, gunfire control technician and just to correct ben the gunfire, five-inch gun is an offensive weapon. Just, just want to put that little caveat in there. All right, it's good to get but, to the news. Yes. 
<laughs> but after I became, I just want to uh, pause and uh, elaborate on what you guys were saying because I got a different perspective on the uh, whole shooting the launching the Tomahawks. Because yeah. when we were launching them, I was gung ho. I was in my mind, like Mac was saying, I was convinced that I was doing the right thing, and I still am to this day. Yeah, I think I was doing the right thing. I did it for the right reasons, yeah. whatever, because I was in the military. Yeah, but after coming here and living here. And then meeting some of the uh, Iraqi people and then talking to them. I never told them that I launched missiles into here, but I talked to them mm -hmm. and they were telling me about the war and how, uh, you know, like people, you know, how, you know, like this one young lady, her uh, father was in the military. And he got killed while in the military, you know, and stuff like that. And I just couldn't help thinking in the back of my mind, was I part of that? You know what I'm saying? Right. Now I'm working with these people. Yeah. And you it's not as not as gung ho as I was before about uh -huh. the situation. You know what I'm saying? Oh, you wow. start to really think, you know, like, hey, these are yeah. regular people. They aren't the enemy. They may have been at one time, but they no longer are. And now you gotta sit here and listen to their stories. It's not as easy as you may think yeah. in that uh, scheme of things. And that's what I'm saying, that that from the ship, they're just uh a orange thing on a on a map on a computer screen that you don't you don't really real like once you shoot the missiles, that's it. It's out of your life. So yeah, it's it's easier from that perspective. You know, actually, and, but, and to, to shoehorn into that too, it's like Tetris. Uh, playing Tetris was great for us when we were younger because that it helped us when we have to pack our trunk. Uh, <laughs> you know, those sorts of skills. But also at the same time, in a more uh, sort of negative way, um, that made killing people shooting missiles at people uh that made it easier too it's just a video game i mean yeah. it's it's so not uh uh you know you don't see it you don't feel it um so it made it easy it definitely um it brought it down to a point where after we had launched there was about a week that went by that everything was just kind of back to normal and then looking for maybe we'll do our next launch before the intelligence officer came out to debrief us and after the debriefing is when it really hit home for me what had happened and, you know, it kind of really drove a different point in versus the Tetris theory of just playing the game. And then, okay, here are the results of your yeah. was It yeah. definitely drove it home. It went from a, a week of nonchalance and just not really thinking about it in any gravity situation. You're right. Yeah. Until that point. It took time for it to hit, to hit. Yeah. Um, I, uh, we could definitely uh, talk about your feelings afterwards when we get to that point, but uh, I, I'm, now I'm definitely interested in how you guys felt afterwards. I, I never thought about, about uh, that part of the strike. Um, really quickly, um, when, I, when I tell people what I did in the Navy, like, you know, they ask, what was your job in the Navy? I don't tell them fire control men. I tell them right. I was a tomahawk tech. Yeah. And, and I think there's an even more division between your average FC and Tomahawk tech. Did, did you guys feel the same way? Well, certainly, I, I didn't, I mean, fire control tech to me sounds like um, firefighter. Oh, yeah. Firefighter. Yeah. Uh, so I, yeah, I mean, because, you know, um, CWIS and uh, SM2 missiles and stuff like that are not known by general public. Yeah. But Tomahawks are. And so I'll say, yeah, I did Tomahawk, I was Tomahawk tech yeah, also. Yeah. Well, if you're talking about FCs as well, don't forget our brothers and sisters that were doing 48 Echo and um, Aegis Techs. Yeah. They didn't have anything to do with weapon systems other than the radars. Exactly. But I like, 
I like to put an emphasis on the the tomahawk tech part when I call it what I do just because I just hold it in a higher prestige, you know? Yeah, it's just like FCs amongst all the other ratings. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, it's the top of the top, the cream of the crop. I'd like to think so anyways. I think we can all agree on that. I can uh, say one thing about uh, the FCs and the tomahawk tech. I mean, tomahawk <clears throat> or the Donald Cook, we are literally the only ones who technically on the Donald of course, uh -oh. did anything in this in that war, and when I say yeah. that, I mean we reached out and touched them. But that yeah. was no Seawiz, yeah. no SM twos, no uh, harpoon, no disrespect, Mac. I know you were harpoon, today, you know, harpoon man, man. but it, harpoon man. we were literally the only ones who reached out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that's right. And actually, I think uh, to to uh, to extend that a little bit further, the rest of the ship was there. Their sole job was to support what we were doing. I like to think of it that way. Yeah. Um, do you know how mad, I will say, do you know how mad chiefs, people who have been in the Navy for years and never even got looked at for a calm and we got them right off uh, the bat? Yeah. <laughs> they yeah, hated us was, over that shit right there. <laughs> you know what? It, and it's like, it, to the point where, and this is, uh, uh, you know, whatever, kind of uh, uh, silly, but, um, you know, anytime there's some general on TV, I can point out, like, oh, yeah, I have that one. <laughs> I did like after I transferred from the Donald Cook and I got to my new command, I got a lot of raised eyebrows, especially at the training facility where a lot of officers were coming through. Every time they saw my Navy comm, they would be like, what would you do to get that? I've been grilled for that before. Yeah, I do. Yeah, and, awesome. and why is that ribbon so much bigger than all the other ones? <laughs> <laughs> well, you can't. You can't be uh you can't be the first to launch without being on the ship, obviously. Who was the first one to check on board the USS Donald Cook out of E3? Uh, it was me. Um but I had uh visited I was in the same uh sort of uh, class schedule as uh as Mac. Uh but I um I, I forgot how I got connected with the, the ship that I would ultimately uh go to, but uh they said, Hey, do you wanna come and visit? And I said, Sure. So I went over and uh met met uh our guys over there and uh they said hey so we're about to we're gonna go on some little tra you know two-week training thing do you want uh we can try to get you out of school early you want to do that and i was like you know to be polite i was like yeah sure you know because i mean it's my future boss so i was gonna be a yes man right off the bat well they did that and so i got yanked out of school early <laughs> to do that and in fact i was actually gonna get out of the navy uh, at that point um but the, that got canceled because Donald Cook reached out and said, we, we, we need him early. Uh, and so uh, my fate was sealed. Um, how was the strike team when you checked on board? Like what, what, what kind of vibes were you getting? I think the other guys would agree. And you guys can certainly speak to this too. We were extremely cohesive. I think we had a very good dynamic. I mean, and that was shown through uh, our, our qualifications, the, the CMTQ. Um, we were the best. We were the best in Norfolk. Uh, so that's also why they chose us to shoot the first missiles, I believe. Is, would you agree with that, you guys? I would. I would definitely agree with that. Um, it was definitely a really tight-knit team. It was easy to blend into as well. And I remember it was the first time I saw a broken watch, and I never wanted to play broken <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. That, so we did have a very quirky uh, former star. I guess the guy, the star replaced. Is that right? Was yeah, lucky. I think he left yeah. when the star got there. He was he was a certainly a very um, abstract character, uh, very interesting person, and he was fun. He combined things together and really 
made us, it showed us how informal an environment it could be at times. Did your ship come with your orders? It was told. We were, yeah, voluntold to go. So I'm assuming Mac was the next one of you three to check on board? Yeah, me and Ben were in the same Tomahawk class when we were learning about maintenance and operation. So when you're going through... left the class about like, <laughs> early. Let me ask you this. As you're going through class and you knew uh, Ben and your co-worker, <laughs> were, you, were you thrilled at that idea? Or scared, Mac. There was a little bit of fear, but, you know, just knowing that that friendly face was going to be there. And it, it was uh, amazing. It, I will never forget the Ben got his hair cut a little bit shorter than he wanted one time because somebody yeah. played a prank on him. And I was yeah. like, well, that banana shaped dome is going to be there. I'm going to be there. I'm actually, gonna be there. and Mac and, I, Mac and my history actually go back before, uh, before the Donald Cook. In fact, we, um, and I, I'm so glad to be the first one to say this. Uh, so Mac was in my sister division uh, in boot camp. Oh, so, um, yes, yeah. So they were um, the sister, the little sister division from mine. So we actually went through boot camp the same, the same time, went to A school and C school the same time, ended up being on the same ship. Uh, and when I actually got to my ship, my recruiter happened to be also on that ship. Oh, really? Um, and, you know, at this point, when you're going through boot camp and, you know, A school and C school, and you're seeing um, pictures from your friends in college, with surrounded by girls and uh you know all this kind of stuff you're like why did i do this this yeah. is the worst thing i could have ever chosen to do and uh at that point you, you direct a lot of anger towards your recruiter and so he was on my ship and i remember uh-huh. you know yeah just really having to come to grips with that uh what but he's a nice rate? guy what was it great uh oh c os os so yeah <laughs> so how about you, Star? Uh, how did you manage to make it to the Donald Cook? It just, it was the only ship out of, uh, when I went to C school and finally graduated, it was just, a, uh, I had a choice to go to the West Coast or the East Coast, and I already was on the West Coast, so I said, let's try the East Coast. Oh, that was so they sent me to the Donald Cook, was one of the choices, so I chose it. And I must admit, when I first got to the Donald Cook and seen the guys that went first in TR and just met the guys, you know, you got to imagine yourself tall, heart, and kissling all at the same time and all the different personalities. I was like, yeah. whatever I got myself into, this is going to be horrible. You know, <laughs> not horrible, but this is going to be crazy. Until well, I wouldn't go that far. I yeah. at, until I seen them at the strike consoles, though. That's, all the yeah, we silliness were... was still there, but they knew exactly what they were doing. It was very easy for me yeah. to come in because they already knew everything. And actually, one of the jobs that we ended up picking up was waking Star up during the middle of a strike. So, I mean, that's how little he had to do. <laughs> Literally, they knew everything. <laughs> oh, man, he's got a bad connection. Yeah, we're dealing with... For but the I like the drama on that. It was like they knew has- everything. <laughs> I was new to the Tomahawk, so I couldn't teach him anything. So I had to learn everything. <laughs> but you were you were a really great student, though. Sorry, you, you learned well, uh, and uh, you know. How did you get your... the Tomahawk orders? Huh? How did how did you get the Tomahawk orders? You know, I can't remember. Well, it was fate. Yeah. <laughs> hey Ben and Mac, what what were your guys' impressions of Star when he checked on board? 
Well, I mean, uh, I was thrown off by the glasses, first of all. I mean, the, the, the thickness of them, actually, specifically. Um, but <laughs> though, though he was a, a bit of a nerd, um, he, he, he just fit right in, I think. Just fit right in. Yeah, I think um, as soon as we got to know Star a little bit and once he got to the boat, I saw he's definitely um, not to sound like a ho- like something hokey, but a kindred spirit. Yeah. I the things that he went through before he had to get to our ship. So I felt he was a really good fit when he got there as well. That's right. And when I say his glasses, those were Tomahawk proof glasses. I mean, they were serious. <laughs> they were. They were amazing. So um, the, the USS Don Cook DDG-75 was commissioned in 98, I believe. Yep. So when you guys checked on board 2001, 2002-ish, it was like four or five years old. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't really participate, but I'm on like the alumni pages on Facebook and stuff like that. Yep. Pages, And like I constantly hear about how great the Donald Cook and their experience on the Donald Cook was. How was your overall feelings about the Donald Cook in general? So I can definitely say when I got on there, and I think Mac probably uh, got a lot of this too, but when I got on there, it was shortly after uh, the USS Cole got bombed mm-hmm. um, in Yemen. And, you know, the people on the ship at that point had gone. They were the first ones to respond. I mean, they had considered uh, the USS Cole their sister ship. So they went and actually um, helped, like, like, rescue people, help the people. So they were, you know, they had already had dealt with some trauma uh, in dealing with that. So uh, that was – they were – still shaken up i think mm-hmm. by the time i got on there yeah because we got there then you got there right shortly before i did but it was right after their maiden voyage and that that happened during their maiden voyage deployment so when we got there they were a very um they were already tight-knit and a lot of the people the plank owners of the ships the people who were there when they christened the ship they were starting to rotate out when we got there mm-hmm. so a lot of the the tight-knit community was still in effect so it was easy especially with the tighter knit uh, crew yeah. that when you get there, they accept you more and then you're drawn into that tight knit community. So it, it was really good. And a lot of people yeah. really enjoyed that. Yeah. That tragedy really does pull people together too. It makes you much, just like after uh, 9-11, uh, you know, how the whole country pulled together. I've never seen so many American flag bumper stickers my whole life is right after September 11th. So that trauma really does pull people together. Star. Oh, the Donald Cook, it was the, that was my third ship ever. Yeah. So, you know, each ship is the, uh, you know, your favorite until you get yeah. to your next one. Yeah. And your third, you know, my last one, though, with you guys, like with all my other ships, I've always enjoyed my time on the ship, but my time off the ship was equally enjoyable. And I spent, you know, a lot of time with you guys off the ship also. Yeah. Which yeah. is a, a plus. I never had to be just the LPO and I couldn't talk to you at, on Liberty and stuff like that. It was always a, you know, yeah. back and forth human bondage. And, yeah. Do you do you guys think like like a tragedy like the USS Cole incident? I know the Don Cook wasn't directly involved, but he said you assisted. Uh, that creates a like a tight knit tight knit crew. Like Max said, do you think that it's able to be passed along as people rotate? Do you think like for example a newer so. ship, like a newer ship that hasn't been through like that type of situation is going to be, for lack of a better word, more dysfunctional than like the USS Donald Cook that's been through some situations and they're able to pass that type of work environment on as people rotate out. I absolutely think, I think that. 
Yeah, yeah good. I agree. I think it's passed on. It's inherited to the, yeah. uh, you know, the, it's a culture that's built. Because my first ship, the USS Kincaid, it was an accident before I got there. It got T-boned by a, a, a Singapore freighter. Yeah. And then so they had to pull into PI and stay there. But that tragedy brought them together. Yeah. And it passed on throughout the uh, other generation. Well, I, I just, Anthony, real quick, I just want to tell him that you're uh, a lot of times when you're talking, you just you slow down and just freeze. So I think we're missing some of the stuff. Is there a way to get closer to the, the Wi-Fi or something? <laughs> no, this is Iraq. This is close as you get. <laughs> well, it's just it's just that Jesus thing behind me is really scaring me. So I, behind you. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, actually, there is a really, Adam, if I could just mention yeah, yeah, something yeah. about what you just said. I think I, I've heard this before and it was you, uh, the, there was a ship analogy used in this. And it's it was when the, the ships were made out of wood. And, you know, there's a thing where like, if you take a plank out of that ship and replace it with another plank, is the ship still the same? Yeah. Um, and never, I think everyone would agree that yes, it is. So if you take a plank out, uh, you know, every every year, um, eventually that that ship is a new ship technically, um, but it's still the same. Everyone would still agree it's still the same same ship. But if you took all those planks that you'd removed and built the other the ship back up, yeah, is that the same ship? So it's it's really a dynamic thing, and it's um, it is this sort of enduring. Uh, feeling uh where i think anthony uh, put it really well um yeah it just it sort of pervades the people and it just goes along with it i, I just found it interesting like i said like I, I go through like the group posts and whatever of the don cook alumni and like throughout the generations of, of sailors they always say the same they, they feel like the same aura about the don cook and some of them that have never met the ben halls and the yeah. Michael Max and the Anthony Stars that made my experience great, you know? Did you get out, uh, Adam, did you get out right after Donald Cook or did you stay? Oh, you went to uh, Guantanamo, right? That was in the middle of my shore, my shore command. So I was in for 10 years. Oh, you were in for 10 years. Okay. And that, how long were you in? Um, just eight years, two enlistments worth. Okay. But yeah, so that first that first reenlistment, um, you know, is pretty tantalizing. They'll give you a, a pretty decent uh, bonus um, yeah. for you know for people like FCs, you know, uh, are, uh, the most valuable of all. <laughs> um, so they give you a decent bonus. Um, so a lot of people definitely went for that. I, I personally did not. I, I got out, but because I, I just kept imagining the pictures of my friends in college. Um, so. Um, so let's let's move on to the next. Let's get closer to that first strike, and we can't have that first strike without the unfortunate event of 9-11. Uh, where were you guys on 9-11-2001? Um, so Mac and I we were both on the uh, we were both on the USS Donald Cook, and it was pretty shortly. Uh, we hadn't been on there too long, but um, uh, and I definitely want to hear Mac's perspective on this too. But I happened to be in the galley at the time and uh, doing uh, what do you what do you call it? Like um the food stuff that service that, week or service service three months whatever yeah <laughs> yeah but i was doing that and we were cranking cranking mess cranking yeah that's right oh that's right okay hi guys i'm sabrina you're going to hear me chime in when adam thinks there's a word phrase etc that needs some layman explanation i'll try to be concise and not take you away from the stories for longer than necessary see you later cranking 
is what sailors call it when a junior sailor reports to the mess decks to augment the kitchen staff by assisting with the food service, dish cleaning, trash disposable, and other similar jobs for a period of time. It's kind of a rite of passage as a new crew member. Um, but yeah, so I remember um, hearing uh, the, the captain come over the 1MC saying, um, for the information all hands, like, uh, uh, he's, I remember the words, he said, uh, an airplane has just impacted a World Trade Center in New York. And, uh, and we're like, what? Like, how stupid, how stupid of a mistake could a pilot make? And so we went over to this little grainy TV, and this is while we're in Yorktown, getting uh, weapons on loads. That means we're getting tomahawks on, uh, SM2s, everything like that. It's a very sensitive area. That was a routine Yorktown visit? It was, yeah, because we were going to be going on a, a cruise at some point, a deployment. So, I mean, it's the sort of place where you have to have the engine running at all times. Um, belt buckles were not allowed. I mean, anything with sparks. So it was a really sensitive area. And, um, yeah, the, the captain said that. And I, we went over to the TV and, like, he saw the tower smoking. Like, holy crap. Like, this is insane. And then went back to work. And then he said it again. He said, like, a second a plane has just hit the World Trade Center. And, you know, and, you know, everyone stand by or everyone basically outside doing onloads of, of weapons come back on the ship. And uh, we ended up, I think, cutting the ropes with axes because we didn't want to wait for a tug. Oh, wow. And we took off down the we took off down the Yorktown really fast. I remember uh, seeing the, the little sign to say, uh, wake zone, no more than five knots or something like that. And we're just blasting down this thing and sending these waves down this just river where people have houses and just sending these giant waves over and throwing all their little boats up in the air um, as we pass by. Uh, what about your recollection, uh, Matt? Yeah, I remember we were doing this at this point, this part where I was working with the gunners and the rest of the people on the missiles and the rest of the munitions. And um, yeah, we stopped. We looked at the grainy ass television on the mess decks. The mess deck is the cafeteria on the ship where sailors go to eat their meals, watch some fuzzy news on TV, and break from their main work. It's very much like public high school, but grown men and the food is equivalent at best. Because we didn't have any TV signal, we're just trying to rely on the shitty um, antenna. Yeah. Yeah, it was terrible. Then we went down, we manned up, we got on the consoles. I think I ended up taking over geeks. And, um, sat there then i remember since luckily at the time i was already living on the ship but a lot of the people that were living off the ship they didn't realize that hey guess what this is the last time we're going to see land for the next like month yep yep so, um, luckily i already had my clothes on the ship a lot of people only had like one change of clothes after that i do remember people washing like getting in the showers with their coveralls on and then just kind of washing those and then taking them off and then washing their underwear and then taking those off and then washing their bodies <laughs> and hanging their coveralls and underwear out to dry after the shower. Yeah, we were not prepared to spend a month out there. And I remember actually there was this complete chaos and this Latin, you know, because we didn't know what was really going on. Um, and on the ship, you have limited communications. I mean, even TV is like sporadic at best there. And so we're taking off down the Yorktown River. And I remember um, as we're blasting down this river, um, you know, there's a, there was a, one of those bridges that turns. Uh, so it's going across the river, but it has to slowly turn like this. And then we pass through one of the sides. And I remember like seeing it down the river and it's, it's 
starting to turn, but we did not slow down at all. I mean, we just kind of like squeaked through that thing and blasted out into the, uh, into the Atlantic. And then got sent down to Florida, I think, to guard or to basically sit around um, where the space shuttle was hmm. um, in case, I don't know, anything was happening. But I also remember on the way down there, this just bizarre, surreal um, thing, being in CIC, um, the radars were empty. The radar, there, was no, there were no planes in the sky. And the only things you did see were formations flying of military aircraft. Mm. And that was just so weird to have all these radar screens completely empty. Where, where were you at, Star, when 9-11 happened? I was stationed at Twin Nine Palms, uh, California, the Marine Corps base. Uh-huh. And uh, so, you know, the Marines, they over, they, I won't say they overreacted, but they, they were Marines. Yeah. yeah. So I happened <laughs> yeah. to be, uh, didn't even know it happened. And we, me and my uh, Navy buddy happened to be laughing about something. And this Marine walked by and said, you think it's funny? You think it's funny? No? What? what? We're in the Navy. We're not in the Marines. You know what I'm I don't know what's funny or not. But then after we found out, you know, we figured out what was going on. But, yeah, they gathered us all into a uh, the auditorium and then started telling you, you're going here, you're going there, you're going here, you're going there. But we never went. Where'd they send you? Or where we never they? went. We didn't go anywhere. Uh, when you where had- were they? Where were you supposed to get sent? Or where were you? There was something. I was going to go to a ship. Uh, but I never went. When you guys might have been a when you guys realized there was a terrorist attack, like what kind of thoughts and feelings were you were you guys going through? Well, I remember like when I went into the room after uh, he said there was a second plane that hit um, hit the World Trade Center. It's like that's the instant that everyone knows this wasn't an accident, right? And that was this, you know, just the gravity of that. I mean, not only gravity of knowing this was done on purpose, but to have now two of the biggest buildings in New York City, you know, that, that, is, that is the homeland. That is like on our turf. We've never really been attacked on our turf. We have, you know, uh, I'm sorry, we have uh, Pearl Harbor, but we didn't have anything on the actual land. So this is a historically important and completely unexpected moment. And the rumors about what else was happening, once we took off, we were not able to get a lot of information. And there were other planes that were doing different things. Uh, you know, there's one that went to the Pentagon. Uh, there's another one that uh, crashed in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. Yeah. And rumors started spreading around the ship when you have a lack of information. Rumors are going around everywhere. And the people saying, I heard one hit, you know, in Seattle. I heard one hit, um, you know, outside of Philadelphia. And I remember, like, somebody was saying something hit in Pennsylvania. It was near Philadelphia. It started with an S. They couldn't remember the name. My parents happened to live in Swarthmore, right outside uh you know, Philadelphia. And so there's just mass chaos. Um, and, you know, it, I got a chill. Seeing on TV uh, after the second tower got hit, I remember all of us crowding in this room, all of us jammed in there, silent, trying to listen to this little grainy 13-inch TV in there. Um, and then seeing one of the buildings start to come down, it just was like this collective gas. It was like this, this, incredible like it just gives me chills still thinking about it but uh, yeah i just started getting chills just i'm trying to put myself in that spot and well what about you where were you i was in high school oh gosh (laughs) okay all right i was waking up (laughs) oh that's (laughs) your voice cracking a lot when you were on the ship how about you mac uh when you realized that it was an attack on our country what what kind of feelings and thoughts were going through your head I had the same reaction as Ben. 
I was actually, <laughs> we were in the same room watching yeah. playing small television. So it was definitely the same exact feeling of uh, yeah. that silence that pervaded through the room. How, like, did it seem like realistic or did, did it feel like a dream? Like, what were you thinking? It definitely didn't have the realism that would have occurred had we been somewhere else. Like, we wouldn't have been up, to, like, we weren't as up to date. It was the lack of information that Ben was talking about, the rumors going around what's happening yeah. from different people. Because we we're in Yorktown, we didn't have our cable connection, we didn't have our internet connection. Um, Phones weren't as smart as they are now, yeah. so people weren't able to check the news. Yeah, yeah. Actually, the um, the also the radar, like when we turned the radars on on the ship, our ability to get a TV signal, like, was basically almost zero. It, it was ended up being like a slideshow where you'd get a picture from the news every thirty seconds, and that's all you could see. Yeah. You're trying to piece everything together based on that. But uh, that was real. It, I mean, it felt super real in a way where i mean obviously you're looking at it on this little 13 inch square and so you're very detached from it but at the same time you feel the ship groaning and moving and like you know everyone's rushing around and so real in that sense but it's still it's it's one of those things that's just beyond our ability to sort of like um conceptualize immediately it's yeah. just too hard too big how about, how about you, Star? When you actually realized that it was a, a attack, a terrorist attack on us, what what kind of thoughts and feelings were going through your head? Let's go. We were we were since I was all you know around all the Marines. Yeah. And they were all amped up, and they were saying we're 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 deploying right now. We're leaving. You are too. So I was just so hyper. Yeah. Trying to call my family, saying, "Hey, I'm gone. I'm leaving. Yeah, I'm, I'm not, not coming back. We're gone." Yep. And then. When you I mean, seen the towers fall, it was it was horrible. I mean, because you are you are America's fist at that point. So yeah. I mean, it's all about like somebody's gonna pay for this and let's do it. Um, yeah, we are the response to the U.S. Uh, on that. So I mean, that's our job, and that's when it feel you feel it. You didn't expect to do this, but you're gonna do it. So uh, I'm assuming they sent all the ships out to sea, kind of to like guard the coast. I'm assuming, and you guys were part of that. Yeah. Response. Uh, yeah, we went down to Florida. When did you come back to port? It took us about a month. We were out for at least 25 days doing air traffic control up and down the East Coast. And then how long after that did you guys go on that that famous deployment? Actually, Mac, did we do the um, do we do the, the booze cruise first, the Northern European one? Like Brest, France, and Kiel, Germany, and Oslo, Norway? Um, I wasn't on that little cruise. I think oh, that's that's probably right. after we got back from the planet. So. I, I can't remember if that happened before September 11th or after. That was definitely after deployment. That was before wasn't, deployment. Yeah, because Kissling was there, wasn't he? Uh, not for the booze cruise, I don't think. Um, so we went on. So two, you know, we went on two overseas things. One was a Northern European thing, a Baltic mm -hmm. uh, cruise, which they call booze cruise because there's nothing super serious. We're not ever going to shoot anything. It's not a, a, a combat zone. Um, we're hitting all those different ports. Mac ended up having um, a medical uh, thing, and I remember us writing uh, things on paper and saying, like, "Mac, wish you were here," and trying to collect all the girls we could uh, in one picture and then have that. Uh, so, uh, but I don't remember if that was before or after. Oh, it was. It was after September 11th because I remember the French were saying, "Go home." 
<laughs> they were very angry about us because I think of our, um, our response. Yeah, that was definitely before the um, before active searching for weapons of mass destruction happened. Yeah, and it was super um, disappointing because I was probably recovering from my surgery, but they had steady and they were like, "No, we don't trust the corpsman on your the we corpsman on your ship to have a bunch of uh, narcotics on board." So no, you can't go. Uh, did the tone of the navy like completely shift? After post 9-11, like, um, uh, oh yeah, oh totally different. Uh, for example, the, the the bane of my existence in the Navy, and I'm sure everyone else's too, and it was the point that I, I knew I wasn't going to reenlist was the watches. We're having to stand outside now because of the terrorist oh. thing. We have to do watches all the time, and we're like, you know, in the middle of the night. It's uh, you know in in winter, and it's 34 degrees and pouring rain. You still have to walk around. That's what happened. We had. You know what we brought, we went down to I think three three what do you call it three, three duty sections yeah three duty sections yeah duty sections are onboard security teams manned by the ship's sailors a three section duty means that sailors provide twenty four hour security on a rotation of every three days they happen in similar rotations depending on the ship and manning so sometimes four day or five day rotations are possible. Uh, so yeah, that was, that was bad. And that lasted for a very long time. And we had to go through different training about like, um, looking at people swimming under the, you know, looking for people swimming towards the ship to put limpet mines. Limpet mines are naval mines that magnetically attach to surfaces. On the ship, it was, I mean, yeah, it changed a lot after that. So, so as you guys were going, getting, getting ready, for that infamous deployment where you shot the first missile, did that deployment feel different or had enough time passed by that it was just another deployment? We still had the duty cycle, duty sections, I think, right, Mac, uh, where we still had in ports. Uh, we had a, a shorter, smaller amount of duty sections where we'd normally have like only, you know, five groups. We had three. And that was that was normal. That was normal for deployment. It, deployment yeah. duty sections are always three. Okay. Yeah. Did, did that feel like you guys were going on a normal six-month deployment, or was that post-9/11 feeling still aura still surrounding this deployment? For me, it, started, it had okay. gone. Okay, What's that? For me, it had gone. It felt just like a normal deployment. Okay. Yep. Yep. But as we started to um, as we started to uh, to go in there, there started to be this sort of increasingly heated rhetoric. Uh, between Bush and uh, and Saddam Hussein, and I remember that uh, you know in the little clips of news we'd see out at sea, and then of course being able to actually watch TV uh, when we pulled into a port, um, it was clearly heating up. Strike stuff uh, we started to have to practice all the time. Mm -hmm. It was getting much more heated, and then I remember eventually we went to Sigonella Bay in Sicily, and the captain said this might be the last port we hit. Hint, hint, this might be the last port we hit for a while. So I remember everyone going and getting, uh, you know, the, the, the vital stuff like creatine powder and, uh, you know, <laughs> and everyone coming on the ship for that. And sure enough, um, after we left Siganola Bay, we're already on the, we've been pushing the Eastern Mediterranean for the last month. Uh -huh. uh, we went down to the Suez Canal. So yeah, it was increased over time for sure. What about you guys? What kind of uh, feelings were you getting? the days prior to that first launch? I didn't get anything. I felt, it felt normal to me. 
all the way up until uh, Kistling come running down, talking about, we gotta go, we gotta go. <laughs> then I knew it was real. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. You did remind me of a Muppet when he was going around like, you know how a Muppet runs and their kids lose a lot? <laughs> when it was, who got, yeah, who got that first message when it was go time? That was Kistling. Kistling. Yep. What was, was he on Geeks or? Yep. Yeah. yeah. I can't. The story goes. Yeah. The story goes. Senior Senior got the first call, but their geeks yep. operator was in the bathroom where he was asleep. And then it got bounced to us. The San Jacinto. San Jacinto, yes. Uh, so they're supposed to be the first ones to strike. Because, That's yeah. the story. It was, it's because they were the first to strike on the last war, and they were going to give them that, but then they naturally went to us. Uh, yeah. I'm going to be in a dead zone here, but. Um, I, yeah, I heard this, you know, point-by-point point explanation of what happened in slow motion. I heard it from Kissling himself. Kissling reveled in this. Uh, you know, this was a moment that he told over and over. Um, it was an important moment, but, I mean, as he, he heard it, it, can you hear me okay, or am I all you're, up? You're good. Okay. Yeah, so um, the call came in, and they could hear, you know, uh, Seventh Fleet or whatever the, the, the theater commander was at that point, saying, like, San Jacinto. Um, you know, like, you know, basically they wanted them to start powering up some missiles. Yeah. Sento did not respond. And everyone's quiet in CIC. CIC stands for Combat Information Center, which is the central location for combat evolution strategizing and planning. Everyone's quiet. San Jacinto, we need you to power up X amount of missiles. Mm -hmm. Over. And nothing. And then they said... San Jacinto, if you heard us, cancel that. Donald Cook. Oh. And then everyone knew it. And then, and then apparently Kissling, you know, this is where he was, um, you know, this is where he might have embellished a bit. I don't know. But he got up in slow motion running, running towards the, the, the uh, mic and grabbed it and said, you know, whatever. Yes, this is Donald Cook. Uh, you're a copy over. Yeah. And so, and that's when they hit the D GQ alarm. Which I, you know, I ended up waking up from a daze. Somebody shaking me. Oh, get up! And uh, that, yeah, that was it. And so I remember, I there was a, yeah, big, a, a minor tweak on that story was they were calling the San Jacinto, and they called him once, called him twice, and then our good friend Richard Kissling got up and I'm like, uh, Seven Fleet, this is uh, John McCook, comms check over." Oh, really? Yeah, uh, like, hey, we're here. I'm awake. I'm sitting here. Come on. Uh, so he inserted you guys into the game, basically. Yeah. That was well, I mean, that, I mean, I feel like Kissling is channeling you right now. I just thought um, I was under the assumption that it was because we had the highest CMTQ qualification score of the uh, Eastern Fleet. Uh, no, no, That's why they told us. We are a bunch of bad motherfuckers, but <laughs> well, yeah, I just wanted to point out that there was a little bit of extra that went on that Kissling, he stepped his game up and he bounced all the way over to the radio and was like, hey, Donald Cook, simply this Donald Cook comps check over. That's pretty slick. Good. Yes. That is slick. I have a lot of respect for him. That was a really, really good move. What a badass. Shit. Where were you at? By the way, he's retiring next week. Is he? Oh, I know. I saw that on Facebook. Yeah. Where yeah. were you at? Where were you at, Star, when the call came in? Sleep. <laughs> <laughs> With Dan yeah. or in your own bunk? It doesn't really matter. <laughs> <laughs> uh -oh.
I think I might have been. <laughs> All I remember. And then I remember the. Oh, God. The I already know what you're going to say. The guy who looked like a walrus, he was just standing in front of my bunk with his tidy whities on. Yeah, oh, like, I know you're talking what about. Time of day, I know I you're talking about. Yeah. Curtains, and he'd, he'd be just standing there with his tidy whities on. No matter what time of day, it could be the middle of the night. It was like two o'clock in the morning we got the call to fire. He was but how brilliant, there. because he knew no, that would, once you saw that, you would be awake. There's no going to sleep after that. <laughs> there's no going to sleep, but there's a strong draw to close the curtains back. You know when you wake up, you wake up and you kind of forget where you are and you don't, it's, you're a zombie. Uh, well, when I was shaking, I could, you know, somebody shaking me, Hall! And I could tell they were shaking me a lot for a while because in my dream I was being shaken by something else. But then I hear Hall! Hall! And then I can hear GQ alarm going off. General Quarters. Is the station a sailor's call to when stuff hits the fan? It's where people in movies go when a guy yells, battle stations! Mm -hmm. Oh, like, you know, it's like a, we're, we're shooting or something like that. And I was like, oh, oh, shit. Like, what? Oh, man, where's my, where am I? Like, where's my rack? Where's my clothes and stuff? I'm just putting this stuff on. And everyone's excited. Everyone's running around. Um, <clears throat> I remember, like, just, where are my shoes at? Don't know anything. Running down the hallway once I got out. Um, Everyone's lined up along the hallway, uh -huh. smacking our butts as we're running over uh, towards CIC. Getting into CIC, they had already roped off everything. They yeah. already roped off everything, saying anyone non-essential can't out. be here. Yet I see like the um, the officers from like the mess decks, uh, the you know the <laughs> torpedo. All of them are jammed in there uh, somehow. They they wanted to be part of this moment and uh, got in there. And then I remember the first strike was was. So we've done a whole ton of different scenarios, scenarios designed to be very, very difficult for our cruise missile tactical qualification. But um, they threw the hardest stuff at us and we did pretty well. We did really well, we were the best. Uh, but this scenario was harder and something we had not practiced before where the order in which things came to us in terms of targets and crypto keys and all this other stuff, that, that all came at different, different times. And uh, so we didn't know really how to deal with that. You know, obviously we're like a team, so of course we did it and we nailed it. So, who was the last one to get on station? Oh, uh, CS two. She was CS2. the last one to get on station because she was CS two about having to make pizza and coffee at two o'clock in the morning for all Who's the CS two. You don't remember <laughs> the cook who had to wake up and start cooking pizzas and coffee for us? Oh, that was that was uh, that was after the that was after the strike, I think. Um, yeah, we I remember station. She was pissed. She was mad. <laughs> she was very. You know, I remember. I remember. I remember looking over and seeing JJ with a t-shirt on. Ah, uh, yes. A V, a v t-shirt, a V-neck t-shirt. Yeah, with all the hair sticking and out. Some sandals. Yeah, with his feet kicked up, talking about make us some pizza. That's right. <laughs> So we were over there uh, shooting and like, so we're having to figure out all sorts of stuff that's important for the ship to say like, um, where's the target and what direction do we have to be shooting? Uh, and so basically what ship, is, what orientation does the ship have to be? And um, so I love, I love this because that was really like, you know, all the powers consolidated in JJ Costello, you know, he's the captain and he was, I'd heard it even before this even started. I heard like, he's the type of captain I would like to go to war with, or if I had to go to war, it would be with this guy. Yeah. So yeah, he's down there and he's like, um, you know, we'd say, uh, what angle do we need? What ship angle does it have to be? 
and he would, you know, like, uh, you know, 115, 115 degrees, something like that. And he's like, turn this goddamn ship to 115 degrees. And then you immediately feel the ship just rolling over as the people up, upstairs are like, you know, trying to turn the ship around. And then he's like, um, so we had to shoot it. And, uh, you know, um, again, Kissling and I is, as I recall, uh, flipped a quarter for it. He won. I was like, okay, best out of three. And then we did it again. Freaking won it again. Uh, so um, he shot. Then I shot. There were three missiles. Uh, he shot. I shot. And then, uh, and then the captain said, can I shoot? And part of me wanted to say, you know, know your role. Okay. But I didn't. I said, <laughs> of course, sir. Um, so he shot the third one. And the next no, night. No, actually, I shot the third one. Did you really? Yeah. You're you're getting oh. you're getting your strikes mixed up. Remember we shot again? Uh yeah, I know. We shot for the next several nights. We shot three in three volleys, as I recall. But I do remember what you were saying too. I thought it was the second time we shot that the captain says, Do you guys wanna you guys wanna eat something? What do you want? And I remember uh Kissling's cracking voice saying, Muffins! <laughs> um, or something like that. <laughs> and <laughs> And then, uh, and then I, I said, uh, pizza. And then she's like, pizza. So he gets on the 1MC and is like, all right. You know, like he's yelling across the whole ship. Um, you know, he, he wanted like the officers to do it or the, the, the chiefs to go in there and serve us pizza. And so we did. We had this big pizza thing where um, the chiefs or the officers were serving us pizza, which I think is the way it should have always been to begin with. But... Um, but yeah, they, we did that, and I remember it was really eerie to go out. So um, the first time we shot, it was in the, um, and again, this I would bookmark this moment as well. Yeah. Uh, we were in the um, Red Sea, and we actually had a TV crew with us uh, that filmed it. It was a CNN uh, crew. Oh, wow. uh, they uh, actually filmed it, and it was in it was on the news um, from Donald Cook shooting. Uh, they were actually in a rib. They took the rib, the little small boat away from the ship to film it from the outside. That was the best, too. Then my favorite part about all the filming is the amount of safety that goes into launching missiles. Yeah, yeah. not the way that. We got to make sure our vent dampers are closed so none of the toxic gas comes back in from the missile boosters. Oh, my God. Yep. Got to make right. sure the area is cleared for 150 meters to make sure none of the debris from the boosters drops onto the ship or anything around. Yep. And then the CNN crew just goes right out to the missile deck, right outside of where the missiles are launching, no gas mask or anything. And they're not to diminish, in. not to diminish what they did, because I remember also they let our entire anybody who wanted to go outside could film it with their cell phones. Yeah, and fantastic. that all stopped. That all stopped when one of the ships shot one out. And of course, you got great footage. I even got my own footage. I even went out to go um, see some shots, some of our shots. Um, somebody was out there filming it the missile went up and they came right back down and hit right next to the ship this 20 foot you know tomahawk missile which can take out an entire building uh, landed right next to the ship and the booster was still burning underwater you can see this really bright glow and we were shooting at night uh, all the strikes I think happened at night so you can see this really bright glow and after that you know uh, all hands from all ships in this whole theater uh, no one could be outside during this. Is that anymore. a true story? Yes, uh, yes, yes. Right yes. before that, there was no safety considerations. Yeah. We had yeah, exactly. It was, it was so, so bizarre. And then everybody was just like, whatever. I got to get put into this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like, it is like a you know, pretty historic uh, moment. It's the beginning of a war. Um, and that's the whole, 
I imagine that's one of the big reasons that uh, Scar is still out there. I must admit, <clears throat> during that first strike, as it was happening, and I looked around combat, I realized no one else knew shit mm-hmm. but us. Everybody else there was just a pawn looking at us in yeah, disbelief. Like- as if they were holding their breath, wishing, hoping that we didn't mess up. Yeah, that's actually the way I remember it too. And I remember them sort of pleading with us, uh, you know, like, you know, you know, help us win, um, win this war for us, uh, you know, make us look good, make America look good. And, you know, and we said, I think in a very solid, um, very deep baritone voice, we'll do it. <laughs> I remember that somebody would like turn with a very serious thumbs up. Um, I don't know where they had the red velvet ropes that they roped off our tomahawk section with. Yeah. But they did rope off the entire section. It was VIP only. Um, the one thing I can say on a less positive note is I never want to hear the song Bottoms Over Baghdad again. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that was also the beginning of a very long stint at sea. So we were out for quite a while, so long that we actually got a beer day, which uh, you can do in 40 yeah. days. A beer day is a day when the captain authorizes sailors to have a single beer on board, happening only after maintaining at least 45 continuous days at sea. Two, Two beer days, but, but we were in a combat zone, so we couldn't have it. Uh, and so I remember also there's this um, other noteworthy moment I remember during the, the midst of us attacking um, Iraq was going out at night and when you're out in, at sea it's you know there's lots of waves and it's you know pretty consistent like that but in the persian gulf or in the uh, arabian gulf it's placid and i remember going out at night it's very dry so you can see all the stars and you walk out and it's pitch black and you can see the stars above you and if you look down you can see the stars below you too as a reflection on the water and it almost seemed like you're kind of floating out in space mm-hmm. but also you could see off in the way way off in the horizon other little missiles being shot up um from other ships and it was oh. just so eerie and burning burning oil wells too which saddam bombed himself um you started seeing those off in the distance too that was pretty incredible i didn't want to tell you guys this but uh wasn't known to the Tomahawk crew, but JJ had pulled me aside and he was he was on a teeter totting on whether to sacrifice somebody <laughs> as a, to the altar of the Tomahawk gods, and we were had selected Kistling for that position. Yeah, I but mean, they <laughs> canceled at the last second and they just go without that, you know. What I'm so we and didn't we did. sacrifice, and I'm glad we did because he's alive today. I, well, I remember you saying, I remember you saying, like, are you sure it's canceled? <laughs> how was the tone of the ship overall was like everybody like were you guys being treated like rock stars was everybody in support of you guys how, well, yeah, it, it, there was a lot of butt slapping i don't i don't think it had anything to do with the tomahawk launching, nothing but it was it seemed like an excuse to some actually um to these really prolonged butt slaps which is more of a i don't know it's like you don't have to i, I mean i feel it you don't have you can let go now sort of thing it was fine like in the peeways and stuff but like in the shower it was kind of weird <laughs> peeways <laughs> and they're single stalls too which is the weird part too uh, peeways and, i actually forgot that term and the water was shut shut off so you guys are just hanging out in the showers <laughs> or zero I mean, you know what? when you're at sea for that long adam I, I would just you know don't reserve your judgment 
how was how was Bobby doing all this? Like Bobby, I wish I could talk to him. He was one of my best friends and and mentors while I was. There. Well, you know, I, I can say that. I mean, I'm really glad we were there for him because um, you know we were able to really direct him uh, <laughs> and, and guide him. But he, yeah, he he was uh, he was good. I mean, to me, I thought when I met him and saw him uh, in action, I was like, this guy was born for this kind of thing. I mean, he's he is military all the way. He gets it. He, fits right in it was that's he was cut out for it he's like really smart for a southern guy <laughs> well i mean i, I, I would like, yeah, i wouldn't go that far but i mean uh, even for a southern guy i guess but uh hey, he, you, you guys mean, might me to uh, interject a, a, a sea story in here yeah a liberty story yes do you remember when um oh my Park, god bobby and uh they were lit they had their apartment over in uh yeah i know what you're talking about it was a uh St. Croix apartments. You're talking about the the place right uh, anyway. Yeah, yeah, okay. It was it was not too far from the bar, the Irish pub where we used to do car bombs at. Keegan. <laughs> what was it? Keegan oh, Irish pub, I think. What was the ET guy name? I call, I think he was your buddy. Oh wait, wait. Oh wait. Uh, oh, are you talking about uh, Wentz? Um, or are you talking about the girl he's dating from who's an ET? No, no, oh, no, no, no. This her, guy. But anyway, we were. I was. I had left the boat, and I had came back. Uh, I went through Virginia, and I spent the night over at that apartment. And Tell we had that. lost. A, 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 we had lost one of the roommates, and we couldn't find them. And shit. Wait, this is on Liberty. Yeah, this is no. This is back in uh, Virginia. Are you okay. talking about Cole? Oh, Cole. He was my buddy. Yeah, Cole. That's his name. The guy with the, the really big you know nose. We lost him. Yeah. We, what, yeah where? We, we lost him where? We, and we, he was he just we just woke up and he wasn't there anymore. Um, and we went outside and he was asleep in the bushes. He got up. Oh, and he left man, that's one of my I favorite stories. That's that one of my favorite stories. We got separated. He ended up sleeping sleeping in a like a ditch and like like uh, this is downtown Virginia Beach area town center. Oh, I remember that. He came back to my apartment and knocked on the door, and and he goes, I open the door, and he comes, knocks on my door. I open the door. He goes, Where did you guys go? You left me. There's dew on my shoe. <laughs> I don't remember that. Probably because that was the first time I ever tried Mad Dog. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that. I. I I actually have a C story. Do you guys remember Brainsetter? Yes. Vaguely. Oh, yeah. I and and Wishmeyer? Wishmeyer? Wishmeyer, oh, yeah. Okay. Well, I'll go with the Wishmeyer one. I, the Brainsetter one's, I think, way, way better. But Wishmeyer, I remember um, him. And I don't know if you remember Holback. Um, they were both, uh, I think Holback was uh, like, uh, I don't know, BM or something like that. Um, but he was doing galley duty, whatever that's called again, crank. And and so you know wishmeyer like if i would describe him uh, uh charitably um uh, was not a super like witty person um a little bit slow yeah, maybe on, on some things I'm, I'm sure he was really great elsewhere i'm sure he's really you know whatever on other i'm sure there's positive stuff to make up for it but he was pretty slow um and he would somehow find himself or make his way into some witty like you know um your mama said this or whatever kind of battles is wit wit battles and so i remember <laughs> I've, I've told the story to so many people after i got out of the navy um he you know holback was 
was about to make this cut on him and everyone's standing around watching those two go at it. And uh, Holbeck uh, said something, but screwed up. He messed up a word or something like that. And then now was an opportunity for Wishmeyer to nail him on that. So Wishmeyer said, hey, Holbeck, why don't you get your cock out of my mouth before you talk? And I remember the this, this silence and then everyone busted out laughing. He had reversed I, I it. I remember that. It was crazy. And, <laughs> and then I remember his reaction was like, shut up, shut up. Like he was, <laughs> that was so awesome. <laughs> that was so awesome. <laughs> so um, if Star doesn't remember, um, Brainsetter was the guy who came on the ship and he had an Australian accent for like a month and then it just disappeared. Uh, weird guy. And I said, uh, so you're from Australia? You know, and he's like, what are you talking about, Mike? And I was like, well, <laughs> you know, your accent. I do I remember like, him. What? Okay, yeah. All right, he was a guy. There's lots of rumors about him. Um, strange person. And, you know, people come to the Navy or the military with some pretty strange circumstances. But um, he got in there. And I remember, like, um, he wasn't one of the popular people like us, right? <laughs> um, but so I remember we, have, we pulled into a port. And it was one of those things where you have to have three people yeah, to go out in Liberty. Liberty buddies. So no one gets in trouble. That was in Mallorca after the wars. Our only port visit after the war. So here we are. Everyone's got their paychecks. Everyone's loaded with money. and completely you know um excited to get out of the ship we've been on there for like 80 days or something so um captain knowing that that was a recipe for disaster um said you have to have three buddies and so i was just absolutely dead tired i had to take a nap and then by the time i got up to go out uh everyone had left and so it was me and cole and we needed a third person and there he was in the galley or in the mess on the mess deck <laughs> sitting by himself already dressed up ready to go but had no one to go with and so we're like, well, unfortunately, he's our key to get out of here. So let's just take him. So we went over. I did not want to spend much time with him in my interactions. That wasn't, he wasn't a particularly, uh, you know, a person that I thought would be fun to hang out with. So I remember um, going to a bar with him and trying to separate away from him. Uh, and so I, I said um, to these two girls that were sitting there, and everyone's beautiful. It was amazing. I said uh, to these two girls, hey, um, if I get you guys a drink, or maybe I already had the drinks. I said, hey, I'm going to give you guys these. Um, but if you just wouldn't mind just talking to him or just, you know, kind of in a way babysitting him. Um, just talk to him. That's all I ask. <clears throat> uh, so they said, okay. As I look back and Cole and I were leaving, they were definitely not talking to him. So Cole and I did our own thing. Uh, and we came back to the bar. And I remember a crowd of people inside. A crowd of people were crowding around something. I was like, what the fuck is this? Like, I mean, basically, uh, and for anybody listening to a podcast that doesn't know how this works, your Liberty buddies are your buddies in that if any, uh, any of you get in trouble, the other guys do too. So you kind of have to be responsible for each other. Um, so, you know, we left him. There was a little bit of risk with that, but to me, it didn't matter at that point. So I, we went in and all these people were crowded around something. And I went up like, what is going on? And I see him. I see him doing this, you know, everyone's surrounding and, and he's doing this, like just from the side, like this. And then he goes, ah, and he starts running down um, this, uh, this pathway that everyone had, had left open for him. And there was a video game where you can karate chop this, you put a quarter in, you can karate chop it and tell you how strong you are. <laughs> he did it and it went. Like it went to, I think there's like wet noodle, um, you know, like a five-year-old and like it went up into like, you know, a KO boxer and it went up to like the second level. And he's like, no, 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 I hit the wrong spot or something like that. So he went back to do it again and everyone's still like very entertained by this. These are all foreign people, by the way. 
that's the Florida of Europe. So these are all European people. Uh, very, uh, you know, hoity-toity, um, it, it, you know, and, uh, and hot. And so all he feels saying, I said, goes back, does his, his long extended breathing thing again, as if he's really tapping into this, uh, this ninja energy that he somehow has. <laughs> and so he, run, he opens his eyes and starts running down the thing again. Well, this time he slips and hits the ground before he even gets to the thing and cuts his elbow on a piece of broken glass, a beer bottle or something like that. And, uh, and I could just, you know, hearing everyone laughing uh, was um, both satisfying to some degree and also humiliating because he's, he's American. Uh, I'm American too. I just make us look bad. But I remember later on the ship, he was explaining to people, it's like, I got into a knife fight. Uh, and that, that was, I mean, we didn't get in trouble, but that was, that was my experience. And I remember telling people about that too. Brain setter. I found his kumite and I won. Um, <laughs> you he was how his story ended on our ship with him going UA and then him getting pulled over at a truck stop. I heard about the, truck the stop. worst place for any kind of rumors to start is to get caught at a truck stop. I know, but his pants were down or something. I don't remember what the details were, but uh, he bleached yeah. his hair for some strange reason to think that that would help him evade authorities. You're you're UA. You're not run. You're not a fugitive. It was very confusing. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, but that that you know, um, the ship was, and the events were that we were at, were this um, just interesting point in time and space of all the people that had you know, gone through very sinuous and different paths through life um, and, and kind of came to this one spot at this time um, and, you know, seeing these other paths that were crossing are really interesting people. And, you know, obviously we were very, very tight knit when we were there. Um, really close, close. I mean, because literally we're physically close and, uh, you know, we have to be close as a team as well. But I remember after getting out, that was one of the weird things for me. And I don't know if you guys would share this as well or had the same experience, but I didn't feel the same closeness with people afterwards. It didn't seem like anyone was as, you know, when you pass somebody in a P way, it, you always acknowledge them, right? It's always like, hi. But after that, you know, in college and stuff, it was like people would walk by and then like, I was the only one saying hi. And it, it just was weird. People were more distant after that. The same experience for you guys? Definitely. I don't smile enough, apparently. Say again? Yeah. I don't smile enough. <laughs> it really like people thought I would be mad at them, especially when I went back to school and when I went to college, especially when I went to finish my four year degree, because it was like I ended up going to a private college for the last stint of my engineering degree. So what's what's different? Because on the ship, I remember you as you're always pretty jovial person, like a Santa Claus type. But you had to crack through that that little eggshell. Uh, of him his sense of humor is also pretty particular I, don't, I think it was you know you have to get to know Mac to understand his humor than to be able to know that he's joking and a lot of people have a really hard time with that <laughs> <laughs> hey do you guys really quick do you guys remember how good we got at Halo yes I remember that too, oh yeah. my good remember when we hooked it up we actually hooked an ethernet cable up to the SeaWiz uh, people and we were battling them and I, we remember, would, like, we would crush, I feel like we would crush everybody. We we're like really good because we weren't allowed to go home ever. <laughs> well, I we were, I remember each one of us having, forever. oh, sorry. Star, yeah. Well, we, 
each also got so pissed off we just leave the room and slam the door behind us i remember that because <laughs> well i don't remember that i remember you doing that a lot it was weird uh well i i just i remember it redefining the pecking order and i i did not end up on top um at all i were very very rarely but when i did i would definitely rub it in someone's face who would then leave the room and sl uh, slam the door yeah i just remember you leaving after you took a a sniper shot from my pistol across the mat. You know what? Because that's some BS, man. I mean, if you sit back and not do anything and hide somewhere, that's BS. <laughs> you know, get well, out there I'm, like a man on a video I still game. I remember that, that C-Wiz in that battle we had with the C-Wiz techs, that they all thought it was a good idea to hide in the same sniper perch. And I snuck <laughs> up behind them and started clubbing them like baby seals. <laughs> like five kills in a row they were all in the same spot it was great i do yeah, want to make sure that we take a moment to um expand on how uh, a co-worker can push you to the point of choking them <laughs> multiple times i do want to talk about that just the floor is yours <laughs> who, who wait who is this is this kissling so how could somebody all right if you're working with a group of individuals and you're disagreeing with somebody. Do you continue to get into the in their face? Until uh, give, give us a scenario, Mac. Uh, under what circumstances? Give us uh, some context here. Uh, say, say that you like tartar sauce and I like uh, ketchup, but I really insist that ketchup is better. And then I start pronouncing or orange as orange in your face multiple times, and I'm getting closer and closer, and you choke me because I've broken that that trust. <laughs> Um, would you repeat that with multiple people over and over again throughout your, like, you know, within a couple months of time? Like, because I remember I had to choke somebody and it didn't stop with me. And somebody else also had to choke said person and it didn't stop with them. And then somebody else had to choke them. I do remember. Before I respond, I I to to, good. I remember having to pull Hollins off of said person one time. And, Oh, to keep him from breaking his neck into. You guys, you guys, you mentioned Hollins. You guys got any stories about Hollins? Oh let's, my God, so let's many. Not, let's, let's incorporate the whole strike team and the, the whole crew. Yeah, strike here. team. But well, I think Hollins. I mean, how would you describe it? I mean, I have I have one set of words. I'm not sure if they're the same word or what, or it's a phrase. But chum chum is how I would describe them. Ooh, and this you might be able to nail this one. I think we're actually playing a game called catchphrase. Yeah. When you say a word to describe the word that the other person has to say, well, who it is or what you're thinking about. Um, so I said, Holland's head. And somebody said, lampshade. <laughs> and we got it like that. I, I actually, I remember his name uh, being C-section because um, I think scientists were so confused as to how you could have um, a cranium that is actually like <laughs> so approximate. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I remember that look on his face. You know, it's like he would get in these. I don't know if it was a what if it was a triggered by something or or something happened in his past to make this a thing. But he'd get in this thing where his eyes would just glaze over, and he'd be staring at you. And and you know, like, well, you know what? He wouldn't really respond. He would just take a small step towards you, and his hands would start to come out. <laughs> And then he mumbled his thing. It was like chum chum, chum chum, and he'd come forward towards you. And you're like, you know, I mean, at some point you start to get uncomfortable. Like, Collins, what's the matter, man? What's what's the matter? And then he would uh, proceed to, uh, you know, kind of grope you. And uh, you know, it was really inappropriate. Um, I mean, this is uh, 
I would say in our, our own little way, it was kind of like a he too movement um, because I silly <laughs> felt um, that my boundaries were being uh, invaded, <laughs> penetrated. <laughs> I don't know what the right word is. Uh, but I, the chump jump. Yeah. Penetrated. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I like the phrase he was pushing your threshold. <laughs> yes, <laughs> pushing my threshold. <laughs> I just I just remember Hollins as being he was the guy that you let him borrow technology like video game systems, hard drives with music, and you would never get it back. You know, he was super, super, super um uh he was really, really he was a an audiophile. Like um he had every every C D I mean when you say like, what C D do you want? You're in his car with him, he's gonna drive you home. Uh, what you think is your home, but it ends up being his. Uh, but he gives, he gives you this um, pack of uh, CDs and then another, you know, it's like a freaking thick thing. And he puts another one on your lap and another one on your lap. And so he's got, he's got, I mean, his fuel efficiency was actually reduced in his car because of all the CDs he was carrying around. Um, but really interesting guy. I liked him. He had behind all of the roundness of his head and uh, the chum chum in his eyes, uh, he was a really, really great person, I think. I really wish he was on here with us. I got, yeah, no, I didn't know. I guess he's on deployment. Oh, deployment. Yeah. I got, I got, so I he, got two quick things. Kind of ran. Yeah, two quick things. One is about Ben Hall. Tell me if I'm remembering Ben Hall correctly. Oh, boy. And, and this, this may not describe you now, but this is kind of what I remember from you is that you were the type of guy that would go, we would all go to the bar, right? And, you, yeah. and you'd convince someone to buy the first round. Everybody was going to take a turn buying a round of drinks, beers, whatever. whatever. Yeah. And you would say, I got the next round. You would go ahead and order that next round, and then you would conveniently not have money in your wallet. <laughs> um, so, I, I mean, I, I, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm, I'm right or wrong? I'm assuming you're asking me that question. Um, uh, and no, that that was an incorrect memory. No. Uh, next one. I, next I remember one. it a little bit differently. Okay. The best part was slapping his credit card on the bar saying, put it on big red. <laughs> no one damn well that is actually won't true. have any money in his Navy Federal. <laughs> Just put it on big red. <laughs> well, actually, it wasn't really a Navy Federal account. It was the card that they send you to say, this could be your card if you <laughs> sign up with us. It's actually cardboard. But that never happened. I, I, got no, one question. No, that's I got one question for you, Ben. Sure. Do you still have those bowling shoes? <laughs> oh, no, I don't. Um, I've lamented that, actually, for a while. Uh, I did. I had those well well after the Navy. Um, but those were so slippery. I mean, I actually was able to sort of overlook. They were bowling the, shoes. <laughs> yeah, because we went down to Florida. I think that was, I think that was the September 11th thing. We went down there um, for a while, and eventually they let us hit a port and then head back. But yeah, we went to bowling alley, and oh man, I feel bad about this, and I feel bad about it. This is not the way I am anymore. But you know, I took the shoes. I, it was an honor system. I took the shoes like a like a jerk. So you wore but, those. All, those became your everyday shoes. But you know what? Those were. I think I don't know if that's why I lost my virginity, um, or that. But I think that was the year prior to me losing my virginity. So I will associate some uh, benefits to those shoes. So. They I mean, I don't know if you guys are saying the same thing. Everything I've heard, they played a huge role in that particular time. And, and Max, yeah. do you remember playing Halo at your apartment? And in between gaming sessions, we would drink shots of Jameson and chase them down with Mickey's hand grenades. 
Um, I remember it being a little bit worse than that. Oh. Any more in there? Do you remember um, like a malt liquor energy drink? Yeah. So I would oh, yeah. two sparks in a beer bong and then pour a shot of tarantula tequila in it as well. And then that would be my primer before I had a 40. But yes, I do remember um, having some Jameson and then drinking okay. and then going back to playing Halo. And has everybody here participated in the front porch 40 sessions? Oh, uh, yeah, Bobby's. Yeah. Man, I wish he was on here too. I know. Uh, yeah, that, that, those are great. Um, yeah, it would just be all of us. And inevitably, we'd start out kind of, you know, normally. Uh, but by the end, it was like, you couldn't even remember your name. Like, where am I? Um, you know, why am I naked laying on the table? Like, all kinds of weird stuff. So I remember, you know, you're in a town. Uh, you're in a town of 60,000 guys. And I remember you just go to a bar. I mean, you do want to meet girls. And you go to a bar. And for every one girl, there is, like, I thought of them, like, nuclei, nucleuses. And then you'd have the little electrons, the crew cuts, the military guys always orbiting, standing right around as a halo around these girls. And that was so annoying, you know, uh, because I just like, you can't, you, it's like a five to one chance you ever even talk to a girl. Um, so uh, I remember when I was trying to find a place to live, when I first moved off the ship, I found this really great place in a place that I did not see a lot of other Navy people. <laughs> and when I say didn't see Navy people, you see the little tag on the windshield of the cars, um, and also if they're really jacked up pickup trucks or, uh, you know, American flags or whatever everywhere. So uh, I found this really great place. And I remember Cole and I driving around, we saw girls leaving or going into this unmarked building at night. And when they open the door, you can see lights inside and you hear, <laughs> we're like, oh my God, did we find, did we find the one place that no one knows about? So we went in there and it was called the wave. And <laughs> so we went in there and um there were lots of girls um there were oh, obviously there were guys and girls there um and went to go to go get a drink and uh you know as i'm walking there um you know i passed by this little out, outdoor patio area and I, I remember seeing the guys sitting on each other's laps some in some places and and stuff and i you know i was like oh it's that's not like the other places. A lot of seating available. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that kind of doubled the amount of seating. And I remember going to the bartender, who was wearing a, I think a biker jacket. Uh, I said, like, you know, I noticed there's a lot of like, you know, kind of seems like gay, gay, gay activity outside. He's like, that's because it's a gay bar, sweetie. And then I remember <laughs> that moment. I felt like where the camera sort of pans out from you, and you're in the sea, of. Uh, you know, of, of uh, people that I did not at that point, I, you know, I didn't identify with and I felt scared. Um, but that was offset. Uh, that was really a, a, an interesting challenge and helped me grow, I think, um, because there was the allure of the girls there, which were only there because they felt safe, <laughs> I think. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, um, and, but there, it was kind of a gay bar, which is something that was still scary to me at that point. And, uh, well, it ended up being, we went there all the time, so it was great. <laughs> It was great. Uh, lots of lots of lots of girls, by the way. There was girls, and they were beautiful, and their boobs, boobs, and their vaginas too. So it was it was lots of. I'll tell you another sea story. This is um, this is after you guys had gone. Really? Are you? I don't know if you were there. Going or not. back to it. But uh, we were in the yards, and they had um, the the bright idea of painting, birthing, changing the color of baby 
everything from eggshell white to bright white. So we had to tape up like everything that didn't need to be painted. So I went to FC1 Haney's I was super disgruntled at this point. I had been upheld on board. So I was in my fifth year on the Donald Cook. And I taped a giant cock and balls. Oh, gosh. And so when they sprayed up, they sprayed the birthing uh, bright white, I came back through and I taped everything. And he had a giant cock and balls until they redid birthing a couple of years ago. Uh, my buddy was on the Donald Cook. And a contractor that redid the that pulled the the birthing racks out so they could re update them. I have a picture of him standing next to Haney's rack with a giant dick and balls. <laughs> you said Kenny? What's that? Haney. Haney. Oh, Haney. Okay, yeah, yeah. Well, I, so hey, I have a a, a thing. Um, I want to see if you guys remember this too. And I, unfortunately, Adam, I don't think you were here for this. Uh, but when we were over um, on deployment. Um, there was this point where we were on the Eastern Mediterranean and apparently we had to be on the Western Mediterranean. And I, so we ended up racing across like full speed all the way across the Mediterranean. And we went through, um, some pretty huge storms during that. Somebody had screwed up, um, somebody had screwed up the navigation or, or schedule and the captain, uh, made his displeasure known to everyone over the one MC about that one person. So we're racing across um, Mediterranean and we, we hit the storm and we were in the Straits of Messina between uh, Sicily and Italy. And it was so bad. There were 40 foot swells and we're still going like full speed. And it was so bad. Uh, the ship was rocking so much um, that they said all non-essential people, you know, go to your rack kind of thing. And I remember that, that was the first time I actually felt, um, I'm in my rack, you know, rolling over to one side, hitting the wall, rolling to the other side, hitting the straps to hold you in. And I actually felt scared at that point. Um, you could hear all of the ship groaning in ways you've never heard it. You could hear pipes uh, above you, like sloshing back and forth. And I also, uh, I, I did manage to go to sleep a little bit, but then I woke up sweating like crazy. Like I got to puke. I got to puke really bad. So I, um, I went to the bathroom, I, I got up and I was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, it's, it's, gonna, it's coming up. You can feel it, it's not controllable. It's just gonna happen when it happens. So it's like, you're trying to get to the bathroom before this happens. I couldn't find my slippers, they were all slid around. So I just went right to the bathroom in my boxers and I stepped in and there was shit and stuff all over the floor. The toilets, you know, I guess something, the, the, the HTs, the system had failed. And so when the ship leaned to one side, all the shit just poured out of those toilets. I stepped into that stuff and slipped and I'm sliding around on the floor in, you know, I don't know, an inch or two of just, you know, human feces, toilet paper, all kinds of stuff. Um, and I'm just throwing up, just throwing up right there. And then, I mean, it was just so disgusting and getting up with this stuff dripping off of me everywhere and running straight to the shower. Um, that was really, that was a really shitty moment. Um, and also uh, I remember lucky they were doing the testing for the toilets yeah. and yeah, 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 yeah. So they do the testing for the toilets. They plug them all up, and then they, you know, leave the opening on the outside of the ship, and they just blast a whole shitload of air in, and it and it pushes all the stuff that's clogged up out the one hole that's left open. Well, um, his name is actually inaccurate at this point, um, but he was unlucky enough to be sitting on the one they forgot. So he's sitting there doing his business in his dress whites, about to go and watch, and. He was sitting there, and I remember how he described it. I mean, uh, you know, you could see the pain in his face when he's recounting this event. 
He's sitting there, and this blast of shit comes through his legs, you know, painting the ceiling above him. And he's sitting there, like, you know, just completely unexpected. I mean, you don't, you, you know, it's supposed to go the other way. And he's in his dress whites. And he was also weirdly a germaphobe. So uh, he's just been shot in the ass by all, you know, the past several days of shit and ran to the bathroom and uh, scrubbed himself so much that he was bright red when I saw him next. He'd taken off several layers of skin. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> yeah. It was terrible. They don't announce what him doing like he was convulsing, like puking <laughs> for like hours after that. Yeah, you can see in him even explaining it to you, you can see the, the gag reflex like starting with that. Don't they don't explain what they're doing and so so my question well, is why was he on the toilet if they're this is what they're doing? I don't I don't know. Um I, that's a good question. Uh but they uh they didn't have their shit together, I guess. <laughs> well, I don't wanna keep you guys any longer if we if you guys got things to do. I appreciate you guys jumping on with me and and reminiscing and telling the story about that. Well, the world has to know, Adam. I, I felt like you guys deserve to be recognized as the uh, the first. You know what? That's what this is, Adam. I appreciate it. A, a little recognition for the uh, the guys that taught me how to be the great Tomahawk tech that I was. That's right. That's right. And, uh, you know, it's really nice to be able to use those skills out in the real world, too. There's one thing I did want to bring up earlier, and I don't, you know, certainly want to turn into a long thing, but. Um, after I got out, you know, um, you know, Memorial Day or Veterans Day and stuff like that comes up and, you know, it's like, uh, you know, especially my parents, like stand up, you know, stand up and let, you know, be recognized. And, um, you know, I came to college and there was a whole veterans group here and, um, you know, I, I, I don't feel super comfortable with it, honestly. I, I don't, I don't like it. I don't like to say like, you know, oh, you deserve to be honored and you know, all the sacrifice and stuff like, honestly, I just did that to go to college i, I didn't join yeah. because i love the united states so much and it feels it just feels disingenuous and awkward for me does anybody else feel the same way yeah i feel the same way like my reasons for joining the navy or the military in general were completely selfish yeah so, so i i i feel a little discomfort when someone thinks get honored my that? Service. what's that yeah Oh yeah, you feel awkward and uncomfortable yeah. when people on, try to honor you for that or whatever. Yep. I'm, I'm wondering if uh, Mac. But or, I think that's, uh, that's with Anthony. everybody. Okay. No, I, I think one of you guys. Everybody. Think I, think, I think everybody feels that exact same way. You join the Navy or you join the military, pretty much to get away from home. Yeah. It was your next option in life. Yeah. That's what you chose. No one chose join the Navy to kill people. I mean, not people that I know of. I don't think regular people they just, the Navy. Or because go. they love America so much yeah. that they can't help but just to serve America. You know, that, that's like, you know, you know, you laid your life down for us, you know, for the American people. It's like, that's not why I joined the Navy. Like, you know, you don't say that out loud in your head. That's the loudest thing. It's like, well, I didn't really do it because I was trying to save America and because I just believe in America so much, which I do, but that's not why I joined. I, um, I definitely... All right, so out in Minnesota, there's not a lot of people that join the Navy out here. They usually join the Army or the Marines. So all the veteran stuff that I had to do and all the help that I did and working with the veterans associations here, um, 
it's a lot of the same thing where my feelings are in direct contrast with a lot of the people yeah. that are, you know, oh, my dad, my grandpa, everybody was yeah. great before I was like, I need to serve my country. And then being the type of personality that I have where I come off as kind of crass and brass, brash at times, I really, it makes the conversation go weird when I'm like, oh, I joined the, I wanted to go to college and now I'm in college. So yeah, I didn't join the Navy to this. It wasn't a way of life. Obviously if I got yeah. out the second enlistment was when they were like, Hey, you want $30,000? And I was like, <laughs> you know what? Maybe I do want $30,000. <laughs> you know what? I love America. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you realize how quickly your morals are changed when somebody starts waving money, money around. Um, yeah. It definitely becomes a, a weird sticking point when people talk about, oh yeah, it's Memorial Day, let's honor our veterans and stuff, like, the feeling comes across the same. I, I don't need all that. I got what I wanted. Yeah. Like, I got a lot of extra stuff too. Yeah. Some of it I didn't want, but you know, so I'm here today, you know, I would have been somewhere else. So, I have to say there was one thing, remember, the, I don't know if you remember the guy, his name is Ab Abdemalik. Um, yeah. he, he was a, yeah, he was a guy, he, um, you know, he was, I don't, I forgot what his country of origin was, but he was, he was there or associated with the close enough where he, he still had an accent. And he joined because of September 11th. And he was, Abdemalik, uh, you know, joined for the right reasons. The reason that all of, all the rest of us get credit for um, yeah. is serving because we, you know, are so patriotic and we love the United States. He joined for that reason. But I remember some really terrible racist stuff that happened to him um, after he joined. Uh, because he looked like he did and talked like he did. I, that was, I just remember that. That was terrible. He, was the, he, he joined for the right reasons. He was the sort of like best among us sort of thing. Um, that was sad. That was sad. Uh, you know, I can guarantee you one thing. No matter what reason you joined the Navy or joined the military, if they had said you had to do it for free, would you have joined? If you had to do it for free or if you got to choose to do it for free? You know, people say, I'm so, I joined to serve my country. But if they said you had to do it, you know, well, yeah, we're not right. going to pay you right. to do it. Right. Which you have still joined. Right. Is my question. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So everybody got their own reasons. You can say I joined for, uh, to serve my country or I'm so patriotic I had to do it. But I guarantee you if they said you had to do it for free, would you have still joined? They're totally different answers at that point. Yeah. Or different realities at that point. Yes, I agree. <laughs> There's a whole yeah, reason they, that they offer to pay for college. Um, I wouldn't have made it through college if there weren't like the programs that are associated with veterans. Like, yeah. so no, I would not have joined for free because a lot of the stuff happened. I didn't, I didn't agree with, I wasn't even political, but I also saw something that seemed shady that while it was happening when we were there, that it made me feel like a pawn. So no, I, not. I, yeah, I wouldn't have joined for free either. Uh, yeah, because I joined specifically for college and I joined specifically because I assumed I was not actually going to be able to, I wasn't going to be in war. Um, and, you know, but that's something you had to come to grips with, like we were talking about earlier, when it actually is in front of you and you have, uh, you know, an hour before you actually have to do it for the first time. Yeah. Um, but, it, you know, also, the, you know, the, the Navy for me, and I, I don't know if it's the same for you guys, was, um, I mean, just this, just, tremendous um uh inflection point where i 
really did grow up. It was the place other people go to college and they have their experiences and they grow up that way. Um, well, we were in the Navy and I remember having even encountering the idea of politics and what is politics? What are my feelings about politics? Um, religion, I, you know, all that stuff, huge, huge things without the sort of um, coddling that you get from uh, your family and stuff like that, or people around you that love you. Um, but to have to define that in such a, you know, like a really like caveman environment like the Navy is um, hugely, hugely impactful for my life. Um, yeah, I really became who I am, I think, in a lot of ways when I was there. A lot of the stuff has happened afterwards, but still thinking about it. So I don't know. It was informative for me. Well, um, let me, well, I got my first podcast where I do more one-on-one stuff with people and I try to discuss these type of uh, questions with them. So if you guys are interested in doing like a one-on-one with me for that podcast, I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts and opinions on, on subjects like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. That was like the most important, mo- important period in my life in terms of yeah. Yeah, creating the Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, I guess I'll be the one to end it. It was super awesome scene and talking to you guys again. Okay. Yep. Th- hey, thanks for giving us reason to talk uh, again. I mean, exactly. uh, otherwise we would just, yeah. My girlfriend, she showed me a meme where she's like, podcasts are just an excuse for guys to get together and talk. And I was like, that's exactly <laughs> correct. Like I would, <laughs> as much as I would like to stay in touch with you guys, I'm never going to pick up the phone and, and right. get as a ring. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I hopefully I plan on continue doing this and like different sets of people. Hopefully we can have Marshall and Bobby or whomever and just, just, just keep reminiscing and talking about the old days and, and catch up, keep catching up that way. Well, I think it's great what you're doing. I think you're doing uh, something. It's really, uh, uh, a very awesome thing you're doing that most people don't do. So I certainly appreciate what you're doing. Um, and I think yeah, much, it's great. I, I wish you all success on that. Yeah, I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll keep in touch you guys that you know what's going on with this thing and hopefully we'll, we'll talk again in the future. Yeah. Yeah, we should. All right, guys. Thanks. Cool. Good day, right, gentlemen. guys. Nice talking to you all again. Thanks for listening to the special first episode of Sea Stories with Adam. If you want to tell your own sea stories with your own military buddies, you can contact me at averagejagiopod at gmail.com. I would love to listen and moderate. Please tune in to the next episode and follow my one-on-ones with military veterans on my other podcast, The Average G.I. Joe.